So the word joy in Greek has the word grace in it. In fact, joy is spelled X-A-R-A. Grace is spelled X-A-R-I-S. So in the New Testament, the two are inseparable. You cannot have joy without a recognition of God's grace. The word rejoice, X-A-I-R-O, again, recognizing God's grace. So to put it most simply, the word joy is simply God's grace recognized. The word grace is exactly what we think it is. It's a gift or a blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ, preeminently used of the Lord's favor, freely extending himself and giving himself away to his people because he's always leaning towards them. The first use of the word joy in the New Testament, we actually sang, it's about when the wise men see the stars. It's in Matthew 2.10. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So effectively, they rejoiced with exceedingly great recognition of God's grace. And if you think about that, any time you look in the New Testament and you see the word joy, notice that they're talking about God's grace towards his people. Um, because it's Christmas, a couple of verses that have to do with this. Luke 1.14, this is where Zacharias is being spoken to by the angel. And the angel says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Think about God's grace towards mankind in this. Luke 1.44, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. They're both pregnant. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. God's grace at sending the Messiah through Mary. In Luke 2.10, this is the angels to the shepherds. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Joy is not happiness. If you look in the secular dictionary, you'd see that they're basically synonyms. But joy is not happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Emotions and feelings are based on circumstance. But joy is not based on circumstance. I really like Charles Spurgeon's quote in this. He says, Believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered by them by their Lord. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit and does not originate with us. John 14, 26. This is where Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you. It's the Holy Spirit that brings to our remembrance, causes us to recognize God's grace. It's not an emotion, right? If joy was an emotion, then James 1, 2, which we all know and many of us really wrestle with, myself included, it would be an impossible proposition. It says in James, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many have ever struggled with that verse? Right? So if joy is an emotion, then that means that when I get slapped in the face, I should be smiling and happy. Right? We know that's impossible. 
But if we recognize that joy is God's grace recognized, then let's look at that verse a little differently. First of all, where it says in there, consider it a great joy, that word is uh, a Greek word that refers to giving something the first priority, such as the leading thought in one's mind. So really, we could rephrase this verse as choose first to recognize God's grace whenever you face various trials. Does that make a little bit more sense? Choose first to recognize God's grace when you're in various trials. Look at Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2. Everybody, we've talked about this scripture for, I don't know, almost every Sunday forever, right? So it says that when we're running our race, in order to do so effectively, we need to be able to look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him was able to endure the cross, despising the shame, to sit down at the right hand of God. Jesus did it. Can you imagine any more emotionally difficult situation than suffering the cross. I mean, these are people that he's choosing to die for who are actively spitting in his face. Now, I can't imagine what emotions he was feeling at the time, but I do know that God's word says that he was choosing joy in that situation. By the way, what was that joy? What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Yeah, it was you. It was me. It was us. It was restoring our relationship with him. That was the joy that was set before him. It was the ultimate gift, God sending his grace, having the grace to redeem us in that time period. Jesus did it. So it shows us that we can choose to rejoice. Philippians 4 talks about this. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the sermon. First lesson. Thessalonians talks about it. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We can rejoice in trials. 2 Corinthians 8 says, for in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Acts 20, 24 Paul says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. In the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, if joy is not an emotion, what what does joy look like? This is like my famous question. Like, anytime I'm confused by something, I say, what is that going to look like? So, let's try a little experiment. Everybody just kind of close your eyes. And what I want you to do is I want you to begin to meditate on how God has been gracious to mankind generally, but to you specifically. Think about this. Where has God been good? This is the God of the Old Testament who rescued Israel from Egypt. In one act of power, divided the Red Sea, to both save his people and destroy their enemies. This is the God that protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace and compelled the king to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their God is God of all. This is the God who called David his friend, who walked face to face with Moses, 
who protected Daniel in the lion's den and compelled the king to once again say, the God of Daniel is God of gods and Lord of lords. This is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and he knows you. He gave you life. He came and walked this earth and paid the price so that we would not have to face death. He did that for us. Now, open your eyes. Just kind of one word, quick description. How do you feel? How does that make you feel? I see smiles. I see contentment. I see peace. Give me some other words. How do you guys feel when you meditate on the God's grace towards mankind? Love. In awe. awe. Thankful. Thankful. Beholding the glory. The hope of glory. Yes. I would say that the outward expression of your joy, your recognition of God's grace, looks a lot like happiness. Doesn't it? But it is not an emotion right? Joy is not. Think about this. You meditate on this, right? Now imagine that you put an exercise in place in your life where you meditated on this for hours a day. Every spare moment, pray always and without ceasing. You're meditating on God's grace towards mankind, right? And you are just infused with this idea. And then you see a leader of the church restricting people through laws and customs and doing things that cause people to live in bondage rather than in freedom. How would that make you feel? This happened. So this actually is talked about in Galatians. Galatians 2.11 discusses it. And this is where Peter had been actually restricting the people and telling them that they needed to follow certain Jewish cult, uh, customs, right? So in Galatians 2.11, Paul says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. That word withstood him is actually a Greek military term, meaning to strongly resist an opponent. Was Paul's expression of joy and the meditation of God's grace in that instance happy? Is it possible to say that an outward expression of joy could actually manifest as anger? Joy itself is not an emotion, right? But we can learn a couple things from these two examples. Number one, joy has the power to evoke certain emotions in us. But it in itself is not an emotion. You following me? Secondly, the outward expression of joy is often countercultural. It doesn't make sense. Why do we respond the way we do? Well, if joy isn't based on circumstances and the world responds to circumstances, but we don't, we will look countercultural. And also, the outward expression of joy should compel us to walk according to the Spirit and not in the flesh. So, that then begs the question how do we practice joy? Now, remember, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So, how can we, like, if we're an apple tree, grow out? One more apple, you can't just force it, right? That doesn't make sense. However, if we look at James 1-2, it does say that we can choose to give the most priority to thoughts of joy when we face various trials. 
So I think the first thing that we can do if we're going to practice joy is to recognize that joy is not an emotion. And I hit this a lot, even though you got to kind of take it from a, with a grain of salt because I'm part of Generation X, and we actually coined whatever as an emotion. So Gen X is not really known for that. We were raised by the people who were raised by the people who came out of the Great Depression and World War II, known as the greatest generation. How many people knew people that served in World War II? Did they ever talk about their feelings? No. Like, as a rule, no. I had a client who was shot by a sniper and still, two days later, got off and invaded one of the beaches, I forget which one, and I didn't know it. After working with him for like 20 years, he would never talk about it. I saw it in a newspaper article, and I'm like, was that you? Oh, yeah. You know, occasionally it still gives me pain, but it went right through here. What? You were shot by a sniper. You went through all of that, and you never discuss it. Nope. Just not in their nature. And so they raised people who, in a way that made them believe that expressing any kind of emotion is just wrong. Don't do that. Suffer in silence, right? But we are now in a spot in history where we have seen the pendulum swing all the way over to the other side, and emotion is king in our society today. It has gotten a little bit... Um, almost out of control, if you will. But in this time, we need to be the calm in the storm. We can do that by remaining rooted and grounded in love. We need to be prepared in season and out of season to speak the absolute objective truth in love with words that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. How do we do that? How do we get to that point? Well, we exercise we exercise with joyful thoughts. Literally, we can practice meditating on examples of God's grace, whether it be biblical examples that we can read about or examples from our own life. And doing so actually rewires your brain. So if you think about the brain, and this is like neuroscience, and I'm not going to go too deep into all the big words because I can't pronounce them and I don't understand them. But effectively what happens is the more we accept a thought process, the more we begin to identify with that thought process. So if something happens as a child and we take on this idea of we were made a victim in this situation, you can go throughout your life reinforcing that idea. And anytime there's some sort of a stimulus, some sort of a stressor, our initial response is to identify as a victim. Does that make sense? But we can also form new pathways in the brain that overcome those original thoughts. Now, it's not an easy thing to do because the brain forms these neural pathways. It's like a super highway. What's, what's the shortest distance between two places, right? A straight line. And so when something happens and we reinforce this pathway, it becomes like a super highway that we just default to and it's easy. And yet the correct response is like this overgrown trail that we have to walk through. We gotta get the machete out, we gotta whack the branches. But the more we try and practice traveling down that trail, the easier it becomes, the less likely we're gonna go down this defaulted pathway. 
Now that sounds like a bunch of like psychology stuff, but it's actually exactly what the Bible tells us to do. In fact, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, we talked about this verse last week. Look at the first thing that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then what does he say? I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, why would he say that twice unless there's like some major key in that, right? So rejoice is that word, joy, that has the word grace in it. Recognize God's grace. Again, I will say it. Recognize God's grace. And then he goes on and he says, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, wait, wait. It actually says first, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, in the old English, that says don't be a bimbo right there. <laughs> but let that graciousness be, be made known to all men. When you did this exercise where you had your eyes closed and you opened your eyes, right? If you were to go out in public with that attitude, that, that moment in time, people would see what you guys were describing as the peace, right? The calmness. That would be your gentleness or your graciousness being made known to all men. And he continues. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What's the result of all of that? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And then we get into a bit of a, a circular sort of statement. You know, he started off by saying rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. He says meditate on these things. And then finally, brothers and sisters, in verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So he starts the whole thing off by saying, recognize God's glory. Not glory, grace. Recognize God's grace to mankind. And he finishes by saying, meditate on anything that is an example of God's grace to mankind. That's basically summing up all that we are supposed to be doing in order to run our race with perseverance and fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. This is how we as believers run the race that we are called to run. As we do this, will begin to understand the difference between reaction and response. So I think I was dreaming about this sermon last night when I was laying in bed. I was pretty much asleep. My wife had just let the dogs out, and she got into bed, and she put her frozen foot right on my leg. Oh, my goodness. I had a reaction that was not the response I would have chosen, right? So... Reaction is something of the flesh. But if we can instead just pause and choose our response, what we're doing is we're allowing the Holy Spirit the opportunity to let joy be our leading thought. Reaction versus response. And the more we're exercising, meditating on God's grace to mankind, the more our reactions will default to the way it ought to look. You know, there's a saying out there that uh, if you squeeze an orange, you'll end up with orange juice all over your hand, right? If you squeeze an apple, you'll end up with apple juice on your hand. If you squeeze a Christian, 
what comes out? Good question, right? The more, I'm not going to, don't answer that. But the more we meditate on God's graciousness towards us, the more we think about that, the more we begin to identify with who God really made us to be, the more we can exercise joy and see an outward manifestation that looks a lot like happiness. But the final thing that I think is really key in this is that if you accept God's grace for other people, but you don't accept that full measure of grace for yourself, your joy will always be lacking. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by what that we are saved? By grace, right? You are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not by works so that no man can boast. We tend to forget the first part of this verse. We focus on the fact that it's not by works. Yes, but it is by God's grace that every single one of the sins that you've ever committed has been forgiven by his blood. If you accept the grace of your full forgiveness, your joy may be full. Remember Jesus came and said, I came that your joy may be full, right? A key to experiencing joy the way that Jesus meant for us to experience it is by accepting the fact that no matter what, we've been forgiven because his grace is just that good. So, how do we practice joy? Number one, recognize it's not an emotion. Number two, exercise joyful thoughts. Number three, understand the difference between reaction and response. And number four, accept that God's grace has saved you from any and every sin. So a couple weeks ago at Equip, we had just discussed hope in the sermon. And the question that I asked was, okay, hope is great, but what do you do while you wait? What, what, is, what does the wait look like? I mean, you know, the hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? So in researching this sermon today, I came across Romans 15, 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What do we do in that waiting period while we're hoping for the future? We exercise joy. We meditate on how God has, in his graciousness, given us life, given us everything. Not just life, but an abundance of life. So this Christmas season, let the leading thought that you have be of God's goodness to us in sending us his son. And think about a quote from Mother Teresa. She said, never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of Christ risen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so, so thankful overcome, awestruck by the way that you have leaned down and shown your grace to mankind in sending us your son. And Lord, I pray that it is our present thought through all these days ahead as we celebrate Christmas, Lord, whether it is a happy time or not a happy time, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that we will just be able to meditate on the grace that you've given. Lord, the coming of Jesus at Bethlehem was the ultimate expression of your grace towards mankind. 
It is what brought joy to the world and to every human heart. May your coming this Christmas, Lord, bring to each one of us the hope, the love, the peace, and the joy that you desire to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.